Amina is an activist during the Arab Spring. Her blog, Gay Girl in Damascus, attracts readers from around the world. When she's mysteriously abducted, her followers mobilize, desperate to save her. What they find shocks them. I'm Samira Moyedin, the host of Gay Girl Gone, a new six-part series from CBC. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. We're now officially into our first summer living with COVID-19, and a lot of things are changing since our lives went into lockdown almost four months ago. Almost every part of Canada is cautiously reopening businesses and services. People can expand their social bubbles and hold smaller gatherings if they stay two meters apart and take precautions around things like sharing food. And unlike earlier in the pandemic, there's fairly clear guidance to wear masks anywhere we can't physically distance. Despite the guidelines, many of you have questions about what we can safely do. So today on The Dose, we're happy to bring back Dr. Allison McGeer, medical microbiologist and a specialist in infectious diseases at Sinai Health System in Toronto. She's also the head of a national research group studying how the coronavirus spreads. Dr. McGeer has been helping us to navigate life with coronavirus since the beginning of the pandemic. On today's episode of The Dose, we're asking masks, social bubbles, lessons learned. How do I stay safe from COVID-19 now? Hi, Allison. Welcome back to The Dose. Morning, Brian. Pleasure. We had you on the podcast in May when some Canadians were just starting to come out of isolation. You've been keeping an eye on that. So what's working? Well, I'm still kind of holding my breath because I I was not expecting it to go this well. Maybe I'm just a natural pessimist, but I, I was really worried as we started to loosen precautions that cases would go up again and we would have to reinstitute them. But so far across Canada, with a few notable exceptions, like some issues in migrant workers and some workplace outbreaks, but generally speaking across Canada, things are much better and So far, the loosening of restrictions does not seem to have been associated with an increase in cases, and that's really good news. So you've mentioned migrant workers. Are are there lessons there uh, and red flags that you're particularly watching right now? You know, I think what we're learning is that this virus is really unforgiving about crowded living conditions. And of course, one of the problems with that is that crowded living conditions are associated so strongly with vulnerable populations and poverty that it really highlights our our socioeconomic divisions, right? The, the places that we're having trouble are places that predominantly employ new immigrants and migrant workers um, and shelters and long-term care facilities. Uh, you know, what we really hope is that we can figure out some way out of those really difficult circumstances or some way to better protect people in those circumstances. I think it also helps us with what we have to think about going into the fall. So, you know, dormitory accommodation, really crowded living conditions is a problem. And I think we're going to have to work really hard at universities in particular, where the next most crowded piece of living conditions are coming to, to try to figure out how to prevent COVID spread in those circumstances. But really, I think the, the good news of the month so far is it really is looking like we don't have to be in the lockdown we were in in April all of the time. And the key now is to figure out just how much we have to do in order to to keep the spread and the number of cases down to you know something that we can cope with. 
We've also seen a situation in Edmonton where restaurants had to close uh, when cases rose. What do you make of that? You know, restaurants and and travel are the two things that are really hard. So nightclubs are probably at the top of the list of, of problems, but restaurants are really difficult. Similarly, airline travel is um, not only because of the, the travel and the mixing that happens with it, but just because we're, we're used to being crowded uh, in airlines. And it's extraordinarily difficult to see your way out of how close you have to be to other people in security lines and aircraft and waiting rooms. But of course, both the travel industry and the service industry are really important to us. Tourism is critical. So I do think in Canada, we're going to be dependent on government to try to make sure that people who work in those industries are supported while the rest of us are, are getting back to work. Because in order to prevent spread in order to keep the number of cases down, I think we're going to need ongoing restrictions in restaurants that are going to be really difficult to manage. I want to get to to a point that for some reason continues to be controversial. One message public health officials have been trying to hammer home repeatedly is the need for people to wear masks when indoors in places like stores, coffee shops, you know, public transit, places where you might potentially be in, in, in the company of a lot of people where it's difficult to stay two meters apart from others. I don't know about you, but lately, I've noticed a lot of people aren't wearing masks. You know, I, I think the problem with masking is that because there are so many uncertainties, our messages have just been all over the place. And, you know, wearing a mask is not the most fun thing to do in the world. And so I, I think when we haven't been able to get our masking messages straight, we've not been really clear. You know, we, we've said wear masks. But we haven't specified that it's when you're close to other people that it matters. So we haven't got people, I think, yet thinking their way through when they should be wearing masks and and when they don't need to be. And I, I think that will help, too, because, of course, when we say wear a mask, you know, we don't mean you have to wear a mask when you're outside walking in the trees by yourself or when you're in your car driving somewhere. As you just said, we want people wearing masks indoors when they can't maintain distancing. And I think that message is beginning to take hold, but it's it's been really confusing and we need to start really focusing on trying to get the simple message. It's been amazing to me how pretty much every Canadian I meet has figured out social distancing now and knows what they're supposed to be doing and has thought through what's essential and not essential. So I think we can do the same thing with masks. We just have to work at it now. Is there any uh, possibility that uh, people are just tired of precautions like wearing masks and other things like like they're so over this. Yeah, I, I no question. You know, this is this has been a really long four months, and uh, it's getting really tiresome. And everybody just wants to get out and you know get their hair cut and you know go for a meal somewhere and see their friends and family. So maintaining what we need to maintain, I think, is hard. It's also true that you know when we were watching what was happening in Italy and New York City, it was much easier to maintain precautions. Now things feel kind of ordinary. From that perspective, I think, you know, having the Americans in more trouble south of us will probably help us maintain, you know, when the 
news came up on one of my news feeds this morning that the Texas Children's Hospital is taking care of adults because they've run out of adult ICU beds in Texas. That's a like, okay, yep, now I know I can I can hold on to this for a bit longer because I, I see the alternative. We watched cases go up this week and last week in South Korea and Germany. And um, I, I think it's pretty clear that if we relax things too far, we will be back to cases going up and threats to our ICU capacity and so we know that we don't want to do that. We just have to figure out what the line is. You mentioned that some of the messages around masks have been muddy. So this is your chance to make it clear. What what, what are the clear rules about wearing masks uh, in public spaces these days? So I think you should be wearing a mask when you're indoors in public spaces and when you can't be maintaining social distancing outdoors. Uh, for those of us who live in Toronto, that's probably wearing a mask if you're going for a walk, you know, on sidewalks. Um, you know, if you're standing in line for the coffee shop, maybe most of the time you can maintain social distancing, but not all the time. For those of us who work in buildings, it means putting your mask on when you come through the lobby of the building. It, so it means having your always having a mask with you and and being willing to put it on as soon as you're indoors in public spaces or not able to maintain social distancing. Uh, I want to uh, raise a related issue that's coming up a lot these days. Uh, There's a lot of talk about face shields, those plexiglass coverings that healthcare workers use. From an infection control perspective, could face shields be an alternative if people don't want to wear masks? It's a really interesting question. And the problem is that we've got no testing of face shields. And the face shields come in a whole variety of sorts. So the the face shields that are most likely to be protective, and, and we don't have a lot of them, it's not most face shields, are the ones that come down and then are shaped underneath your chin. So those ones, when you breathe out, right, remember that if we're wearing masks and face shields, we're wearing masks and face shields to protect other people from us. And the key is that the droplets that come out of your mouth when you talk or breathe or sing, they come straight out. And if you're wearing a face shield, they'll kind of bounce off it and drop. And so if you have a face shield that's curved at the bottom under your chin, those droplets will land on the curved part of the face shield largely. If you're wearing it and it just goes straight down, or worse yet, it's one of those relatively short ones that doesn't completely cover your mouth or doesn't completely cover your mouth when you open it, then, you know, it's not going to be as effective as stopping droplets as a mask is, which clearly covers your whole face and chin. And so I think it's another one of those uncertainties that I'm not sure that face shields are as good as masks. But there are circumstances, you know, people who are um, hard of hearing. There, there are some other circumstances where I do think that face shields make communication easier. And so I, I don't think we should say only masks, no face shields. But I think probably in out in public, most of the time we, we should be thinking masks. There are people who have like allergies to, to masks who have difficulty with them. And, you know, so face shields are maybe an alternative in that circumstance. Hi, I'm Michelle Shepard, host of Uncover Charmini from CBC Podcasts. In 1999, 15-year-old Sharmini Anandavel disappeared on her way to a job that police believed didn't exist. Four months later, her remains were found in a wooded ravine. I revisit the case that has stayed with me for over 20 years, ever since I first covered it as a cub crime reporter for the Toronto Star. You can find Uncover Sharmini on CBC Listen or on your favourite podcast app. 
Here's a complete change of subject, a frequent question I want to put to you that a lot of people uh, are talking about these days, especially uh, as businesses open up. They are ecstatic to get back to their uh, hairdresser or nail salon. Uh, I have to say I'm a bit skittish. So what's the level of risk there and what precautions should uh, workers and customers be taking? I personally am, I need to get my hair cut, okay? But I think every contact with another human being is associated with some risk. And you can mitigate that risk by staying apart from them, by wearing masks, by cleaning your hands. And we really need to be focused on, I think, those simple things. So hair salons need, like, you know, every other business to be making sure that their clients are six feet away from each other at all times, that both clients and hairdressers are wearing masks. It's obviously difficult when you're cutting somebody's hair to stay six feet away from somebody. So just a little bit of thought to making sure that you're not face-to-face with somebody for any length of time is, you know, will will help reduce the risk. And ensuring that there's soap and water, alcohol hand rub available and that people are cleaning their hands before they, you know, start the haircut after it's finished. You know, it's nice when people are offered water and coffee, but you probably want to give up on that. Once again, this is all about reducing things. You can't live your life with no contact with anybody. We need to be thinking about what's essential to us and what's important to us and trying not to do the things that aren't. I want to ask you now about something that has confused a lot of people, including me, um, social bubbles or circles, you know, where a set number of family members or friends can hug and be in close contact with one another, but only with each other and no one else. So that's the social bubble. Yeah, I think it's really hard. You know, a a month ago, social bubbles looked to me kind of attractive. They were easy. It seemed easy for people to define them and and they were functional. I was looking at Nova Scotia thinking, you know, that's a cool way of, you know, helping us to focus on how to limit our contact. You know, now that we're expanding them, I'm now thinking that maybe social bubbles are going to get too complicated. What I would like all of us to be doing is saying, each time about going out and seeing people and doing things, is this essential? Do I need to be within six feet of those other people? And if the answer is yes, well, that's fine. If the answer is no, you know, then try not to do it. And I think all of us need to be recognizing that if we go back to normal, then COVID transmission will start up again and we will be in trouble. We don't know where the limit is, but we want to go as cautiously as possible. And we definitely want to restart the economy. So anything that gets people back to work, gets people back to learning is critically important. And anything that just makes my life a little nicer, not that important. So I I think we need to be thinking about other people in society and other people around us and asking what the least contact we can have with other people is so that people for whom it's more important can can do more things. So, you know, while you're bursting, you know, some of the bubble uh, around <laughs> around the theory behind social bubbles, let me ask you a related question. Day camps and daycares are starting up again in many parts of Canada. Uh, aren't Uh, those a lot of unrelated social bubbles bumping into one another, increasing the chances that COVID-19 will spread? Yes, absolutely. You know, opening up daycares and 
and schools is one of those things that is, you know, if you like, experimental, right? They are critical functions. It's important that they are open. And so we need to test out what their impact is on spread. And one of our great difficulties at the moment is we really don't understand whether children get and spread this disease but just don't get sick from it very often. For most viral illnesses, small children are the reservoir for the whole population. And if you open schools and allow it to spread in kids, then it will spread from kids to adults and things will start up again. But COVID-19 is not like other diseases. And there is evidence that suggests that children are probably not the major reservoir for transmission. And if that's the case, then we have daycares and elementary schools closed unnecessarily. So, you know, this is one of the really good things um, about having multiple jurisdictions in Canada. You, uh, often that's bad. But in this case, it means that we're doing somewhat different things in different jurisdictions. And that will speed up how quickly we learn about whether we can safely reopen daycares and what are the conditions in which we can safely reopen daycares. Because reopening daycares are a, a critical thing. I'm on the side of I think it'll be safer than most of us think. But it's all expert opinion and speculation and not data at the moment. Until we get the data, absolutely. Um, so uh, an, another uh, topic related to kids, what about playground equipment? You know, what are the chances of spreading the virus by droplets that get onto playground equipment? So I, I think the answer we get back to is people, 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 right? It's much less about contact with the playground equipment than contact with other children. There's absolutely no issue with cleaning off and playground equipment. And it, of course, it's less about equipment that people's hands have touched than equipment that people's faces have touched, right? So toys and daycares for small kids are a really significant problem because with two-year-olds, everything goes in their mouth and, and there you want to worry. Big playground equipment comes into contact with kids' hands, but not usually kids' mouths. And so if each of us does our part and make sure that kids clean their hands before they go and play on the playground equipment, then we'll be fine. I, again, this is about all of us pitching in and and doing our piece to make sure that that equipment stays clean. I want to move on to talking about safe socializing for grown-ups, and I want to talk about barbecues. So what are the rules of conduct for inviting people over for outdoor barbecues? Six feet away all the time. Really simple. Clean hands, I suppose, and six feet away all the time. That's it? That's it. And uh, minimize the sharing of food. If you can fix it so that people are using their own utensils, it's really about trying to avoid a lot of people touching the same things when they might not have clean hands. Or you can, you know, have some three-year-old enforcing people using the alcohol hand drug before they pick up the salad tongs every time. That's another suggestion. I want to focus for a moment on people at increased risk of COVID-19, seniors, people with cancer, high blood pressure, or otherwise immunocompromised. As things open up and the weather is nice, what's your best advice to them about what they can participate in and how to protect themselves? You know, again, it's, it's really about physical distancing. And I, I do think in the short term, that we need to be thinking very carefully about protecting everybody in society who is at higher risk of severe disease with COVID-19. And, and again, this is about balancing 
you know, quality of life and and the need for contact with people against the really significant risks to older adults, people with underlying comorbidities and, and COVID-19. So again, we get back to any, anything that I can do for my father that means that he doesn't have to have contact that he doesn't care about that's not essential to him is a good thing, in part because it allows him to have, you know, some contact with the people that he considers essential to his well-being. So I think all those of us who have friends and relations of, of people who are at risk need to be thinking, what can I do so that they can save their need for interaction with people, the things that are important to them, uh, as opposed to the things that might be necessary, like grocery shopping, but they can live without. Anything you want to add that we haven't talked about today? You know, I think the only other thing from my perspective is to say thank you to everybody. I, I The experience of the last four months has been a, a, a remarkable demonstration in Canada of what we are capable of doing together. I am conscious every day that a very large number of Canadians are making really significant sacrifices to preserve our healthcare system and to preserve the lives of other people. And it's been an amazing remarkable exhibition in my view of of social cohesion and all of us working together well while we're thanking people uh thanks to you allison for your steadfast advice and patience in explaining it to people like me always a pleasure to talk to you brian take care you too that's dr allison mcgear a medical microbiologist and a specialist in infectious diseases at sinai health system in toronto who's studying the spread of covid19 here's your dose of smart advice Wear a mask anytime you go indoor shopping, a hair appointment, or other indoor activity in which you're likely to interact with others. I also recommend wearing a mask outdoors when you can't guarantee two-meter physical distancing. In addition, or as an alternative, you may want to look into getting a face shield. Social bubbles are an interesting idea, but they're hard to maintain, and there's not a lot of evidence yet that they control the spread of COVID-19. For now, a more practical approach is to limit your outside social contacts to those that are necessary for your well-being and your job. Outdoor barbecues at home are just fine, provided you and your guests stay two meters apart and you keep your hands clean. And if you're getting a bit tired of physical distancing, just remember that it's the reason why rates of COVID-19 are going down. Like Dr. Allison McGear said, give yourself a pat on the back. At The Dose, we're bringing you the best information we can on COVID-19 and other health news, and we'll continue to be a part of your summer. We'll be doing new episodes every other week, which will appear in your feed on Saturdays. You'll also be able to catch those new episodes on CBC Radio 1, along with highlights from the past season in the time slot where you normally hear my other show, White Coat Black Art. Don't worry, White Coat Black Art will be back in September with all new episodes. If you have topics you'd like to hear on The Dose, email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can tweet me at NightShiftMD or at CBCWhiteCoat. You can find The Dose and White Coat Black Art wherever you get your podcasts. Please do us a favor and rate our shows so more people can find us. This episode of The Dose was produced by Nicole Ireland, Donna Dingwall, and me with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. Thanks to Austin Pomeroy for his technical expertise. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. 
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.